Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love, linked in the show notes. Get out there and do it. There's more female small business owners than male business owners. So like, just go, girl, do it. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech podcast episode shout out goes to Abel Hernandez. Abel Hernandez, thank you so much for engaging with us on the We Are LA Tech Instagram. We appreciate you. Be sure to say hello to Abel Hernandez on Instagram at Abel Product. That's A-B-E-L-P-R-O-D-U-C-T. Tell him you found him via We Are LA Tech. Join thousands of people in LA Tech on our We Are LA Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Today's personal spot is about health. I know, so boring, so boring. But okay, so like most people during the pandemic, I pretty much chomped like Pac-Man my way through like all of the ice cream in the grocery store and all the cookies. My favorite cookies are those Trader Joe cookies with the big chocolate chunks and the sea salt. It's just like so good. And my body totally displayed how good all of those treats were. One day, I just, I don't know, something snapped and I just had enough of like torturing myself. I was tired and I was feeling like, oh, you know, I started making sure I was drinking my athletic greens in the morning, which is like so grounding. I highly recommend athletic greens. Athletic greens has this vitamin DK thing. I didn't even know about it, but it's really great for immunity and um, your immune system. I started like exercising and using my aura ring to track how much calories I burn during the day, using a Wahoo heart rate monitor to track, you know, my main workouts like boxing or going for a run or yesterday went on a hike and just really aiming to having like a thousand calorie deficit a day so I could get back on track. And yo, I feel so much better. It's actually fun. It's like I've been gamifying it. I've been using my fitness pal to track my calories. And I ate like my calories by one o'clock in the afternoon uh, yesterday for whatever reason. I just made sure to drink tea and not eat anything else like throughout the day. And I got sort of hungry, but not really. It was more emotional hunger that I used to have that I've had most of my life. And I'm so proud that I didn't cave and I just stuck to it and didn't break break it. And I woke up today and 
had my athletic greens in the morning and it was just, it's just so great. I'm so happy that I'm getting back on track again. So if you are feeling like I've been feeling where it's just like cookie land, I'm telling you my body, my energy, my spirit, everything feels so much better now that I'm like getting back into, uh, into like just taking care of myself. And, and you know, the, the, the craziness that I'm getting back into taking care of myself right around Thanksgiving meals and, and holiday meals and all this stuff, but I'm doing it. So I hope you're okay too. Anyway, enjoy the next episode. Bye. the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting Los Angeles tech companies and talent. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Topanga. Welcome, Lauren. Hello, hello. I'm so stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And you are here. We're both based in Los Angeles. This is so exciting to be doing this podcast together. And I discovered your company when I was at an event in LA and you had a booth. Can we talk about that day at the Viceroy uh, at the three-day rule? I think I was like at a dating event or something, and and you were demoing Flex, and somehow you, know, <laughs> you got me to become a customer, and it's now years later. Years, years later. I haven't I haven't done an in-person event in so long, but I guarantee you that my hair was blonde uh, back then. <laughs> I do remember you with blonde hair. I was yeah, like, that was... is this the same person? <laughs> Pre-COVID, I've seen a few people. I went to a wedding this past weekend and people came up to me and they're like, I think I know you, but <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm like, I used, I used to have long blonde hair and now I have brown hair and it's shorter and I have bangs. So it happens, COVID. Let's start with the formal intro. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. My name is Lauren Wong. I'm the founder and CEO of The Flex Co., and we're creating a more comfortable period for everyone. And what that means is we are making period products that are totally innovative, patented, sustainable, and made in the U.S. and Canada. It's legit the best. It's like there is no other way to have that time of the month than with Flex. <laughs> it's seriously the I, best. I'm a little bit biased, but I agree. What I what I always try telling people is like, I'm not here to convince anyone to try the product. I'm just here to talk about why there needs to be innovation in this space and why I think no matter what period product you use, you deserve to be comfortable during your period week, the same as every other week. And it shouldn't be like something that we dread, something that we fear, cramping, bloating, smell, all that stuff. Like I just think all of those issues should be left in the 1920s. hundred <laughs> percent. Honestly, like flex gives me so much peace of mind for so many reasons. Like, yeah, I absolutely love flex. So we're going to get into your history of like where you even fell in love with tech in the first place. But I'm just curious because I was there. Was it demo booths and that kind of thing that you used to do your early marketing? How did you get Flex out into the known to acquire us, your customers? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did a little bit of everything in the early days. We had this really tricky chicken or the egg problem where no investor wanted to give us money to actually make the product. We had a prototype, but we couldn't manufacture it at scale. And because it's totally new and totally bespoke, we had to make our own manufacturing line. And so I had to demonstrate to investors that we had demand that people would actually use the product before we had ever even made the product, which is a very difficult situation to overcome. And it's something that I hear from a lot of founders who are trying to make physical products, whether it's hardware or consumer products. So 
I did a few different things. Like I would go to sorority houses and I would just like walk in and start talking to people. I would go to any kind of event that would have me. We created a website and a landing page and we put special offers on that landing page. And then we would create, I don't do this anymore, but like full transparency, we'd create all these fake Reddit usernames and like (laughs) post it on all these different boards to try to get people to sign up for our email list. And then actually Josh Constein, who who used to be at TechCrunch, saw me speak at this event and it was an event with a ton of men at it. And whenever I tried talking about period products or period innovation with men, they would just shut me down really quickly. So I learned this really interesting trick, which is a sales trick. You need to get someone nodding in the beginning of a sales meeting. It doesn't matter what it's not, what they're nodding about. It's like, it's a beautiful day today. Yes. Great. Okay. You have them. They're nodding. Then you can get into it. So I'd walk into rooms with men, male investors. And I would say, do you enjoy having sex with women? Stop. And nine out of 10 times they'd be like, Oh, have you ever been rejected for sex because someone was on their period? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All of them. Yeah. Got two nods, girl. Got to keep it wrong. This is a product for you. (laughs) I would like start there and that was like my wedge in. And then I would talk about how there hasn't been innovation in the space in over a hundred years and da, 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 da. But like the mess-free period sex angle worked really well with guys. And Josh Constein happened to be in one of these pitches and he wrote a feature article and put it on the homepage of TechCrunch without telling me, which was incredible. We went viral all over the world. TechCrunch said that we broke the internet. They, they kept it live for so long. And, um, and we were able to build up our email list that way. We got over 200,000 um, wow. people signed up on our email list. And then I was in business. Then I could go and show investors like, look, this is a thing that people actually want. On the flip though, (laughs) I am a bisexual woman. So when I think about mess-free period sex, for me, it's always been like when I've been in relationships with women Mm -hmm. and she has her period one week and I have my period another week, it's kind of a pain. And you can use our product for penetrative or oral sex. But I think because we started with mess-free period sex, like the thought was always like, well, wait, like why is period sex a problem? And I'm like, no, no, it's not a problem. You don't understand. This is just like my way. (laughs) <laughs> getting investors to invest, but uh, it worked. You got to, you got to kind of be a little bit hacky in those early days. I think, I mean, I think that's wonderful. When did you first become interested in business and technology? When did that journey start? I mean, later I, I want to get into building a, a product that goes inside of our bodies is, is terrifying. It reminds me of the food industry. You have to be careful of allergies and all these other things. So So first, let's just start at technology and business. When did you become interested? And then take me how you can even understand how to develop something that has to be body safe. Yeah. I started building websites when I was 14. And I think in the late 90s, early 2000s is what a lot of us did. There wasn't a Facebook, you know, what a meta. (laughs) There wasn't meta, but there was like homestead.com and like all those other websites. And so you'd like create your own little page and you have like your favorite Dave Matthews song playing in the background and you've got your like guest book where people can sign. And I was building these websites to kind of like one up my guy friends. Cause it was only the boys that I knew that were building websites. Right. And so I kind of taught myself HTML and then started like building websites for, for actually real clients when I was 15, 16 years old. And I thought maybe I was going to be a computer programmer. 
I'm from uh, a big family. We never had a lot of money. And my mom was like, well, maybe this is a good way for you to earn money for college. Fast forward to when I was 19 years old, I got my first full-time job at IBM. So I was like right into technology from the early days. And I remember being this like young girl. I mean, let's be honest, 19, yes, you're a woman, but pretty much still a girl working with all these guys in suits, um, using my HTML skills, which now are totally defunct. But that's where I really learned about the world of internet security and technology. And um, and I was actually um, in marketing there and continued working full-time um, while supporting myself and going to school at night. I did half my career at IBM, half at Coca-Cola, and worked for a number of different technology companies after that. I got the idea for Flex when I'd moved to Silicon Valley and I was working for a company called Upwork. And yes. I was doing PR for Upwork and doing enter- like marketing for their enterprise product, which you would think B2B SaaS marketing has nothing to do with period products. But the thing that I learned there is the most difficult thing to do is to change user behavior, like to get someone to go from doing something this way to doing something the other way. In our case, we were trying to get people to hire people online, which I don't know, like now everyone hires everyone online. But back then, even even like 10 years ago, it, it was very different. And I remember I was like thinking about this idea for a new period product. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get people to trust me to put this inside their body, that this is going to be safe, that they need to like use their hand to insert and remove it. Like that is going to be the biggest problem. So I need to make sure it performs 10 times better than tampons and pads. And that was kind of the baseline. Yeah. I can't say this enough. Like I, I freaking love flex. Like it's, legit the best. So I know I don't need to say that over and over. It's just, it's, it's such a game changer in decreasing my like anxiety. I'm purposely staying like slightly vague because I've never talked about my period like publicly before. So it's a little bit awkward for me, actually a lot awkward, but like, yeah, it just really, it really makes my period, not something to stress out about because I don't have to worry about things that I'm going to stay vague because that's just weird to talk about my period on a podcast that so many people around the world listen to. But like, I love flex. Um, oh, thank you. And this is not a paid advertisement. No, not at all. <laughs> totally I don't do like sponsored get like this is like, yeah, <laughs> that is indeed. I just like really love it. How did you go into like the R&D of how does someone go about doing that to figure out how it's body safe? Yeah, there were a lot of stops and starts. I originally had come up, I worked with a product designer to come up with a concept that we took to a manufacturer and the manufacturer said, if you try making this at scale, it's going to break, it's not going to work, or it's going to be so expensive that people won't be able to afford it. And this is after like many, many months of trying many different things. And I decided to shelve the idea. I'm like, this is too hard. I can't do it. I'm not like a product person. I'm a marketer. I went to this dinner in San Francisco and there was this guy who was in product development for Apple, who my girlfriend was like, you have to tell him about your idea. You have to tell him about flex. I'm like, no, no. Anyway, we get to talking and he said, maybe there's old technology that someone created that's, that is a product person and you're a marketer. And maybe there's something there that someone else has already done, but they're too early to market or whatever. And that, you know, is tested and safe and everything else. And you can kind of like take that and like leapfrog. 
And I told him, I've, I've looked at everything from dildos to diaphragms, literally anything that fits inside of the vagina I've looked at, like there's nothing, but it got me thinking. And I went back and I started looking at old patents and came across this patent for a product at the time it was called um, the instead soft cup. And it was developed by a woman and a team of doctors in the nineties. And she was a triathlete and she had all these issues with her period. And I started the company because I was getting yeast infections from tampons for 15 years. Really? And yeah. Wow. I didn't have that problem. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. That's crazy. It was a really, it was a yeah. really bad problem for me. Yeah. Um, and And so I I came across this and I realized that the company was still around, but in my years of research and trying more than 30 period products from all over the world, I'd never heard of this product. So I contacted the company and I was like, oh my gosh, like your product has all the features and benefits that I want. Can I work for you? Can I sell it for you? I have this vision and da, 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 da. And they thought I was crazy. They're like, you work at a software company. No, goodbye. (laughs) But what I ended up doing was using the technology that they built, designed around the patent, used newer materials that were because from the 90s to 2015, there had been a lot of advances in um, medical device materials. So safe, body safe, things that are used in all different types of formats in the hospital, basically. And like, what if we could use newer materials and kind of leverage this idea, this form factor of the disc. Right. And it was with that, that I got into Y Combinator. I told them the whole story. I was like, here it is. Like, this is what we're doing. And we got into YC, went back to that manufacturer. They're like, yes, we can make this. We're in the middle of YC. We've sold $80,000 of pre-orders. And then the manufacturer calls me and they're like, (gasps) I'm sorry, we got a bigger contract. We can't work with the startup. No. Yeah. So we were kind of dead in the water and I didn't know what to do. So I, I went back and contacted that original company and I said, listen, I want to buy your assets. And I acquired this other business while I was in YC. And then we were able to leverage their manufacturing line. And, and basically we saved their business. Their business wasn't doing well at all. I was able to make it profitable in the first three months and continue making their product as well as making our product with newer materials. And that's that's how it all got wow. started. Okay. I want to get into that more. And I also want to get into the health factor. You were talking about running two companies at once. How do you was, just <laughs> like, and how did you make it profitable? What was your secret superpower that you were able to make this fledging company profitable in addition to growing your company from birth? Yeah. Uh, that's very kind of you to say. I appreciate it. Well, what I did was I kind of split off the team and I had two people go and work on the launch of Flex. And then I worked on trying to figure out how to make that business profitable. And when we looked at the numbers, we saw that there were certain retail contracts that were driving down the price of the product. And I can't name who they are, but they're driving down the price of the product, but they were the biggest source of top line revenue. And so it was counterintuitive to say, let's cut off the biggest source of top line revenue so that we can normalize pricing across all over all the other channels. And I'm not going to increase pricing of what I charge retailers, but retailers aren't going to get angry that they see this other retailer undercutting prices. And so we cut off our biggest source of revenue. And what we saw was all the demand, all the customers that shopped at that retailer start shopping at all the other retailers. Oh. And all the other retailers are really happy with me because they're like, oh, like this is actually working really well now. The other retailer we broke up with was not very happy with me, but we're we're on great terms now. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I kind of just set that business on autopilot because it's a product that people have loved. They've used for 20 plus years. And it was important to me that we continued having more options instead of few options for period care products. But to your, I think, bigger point, like it was extremely controversial. Like almost every investor thought I should just kill that business. Almost every investor thought I shouldn't be messing with retail. Flex was sold direct to consumer as a subscription at the time. And it goes back to the mission of like wanting to have more options for more people. And we are actually able to like use everything that we learned by, by working with those retailers to eventually put flex in retail. Now we sell flex in 25,000 retail doors. Wow. So it, it ended up becoming like a double asset, not just from manufacturing, but from distribution. I mean, that's incredible. So staying on the topic of business, I'm curious. I mean, you've had so many kind of things that you've had to navigate through in your career. What has been one of the biggest obstacles you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Self-doubt, like hands down self-doubt. Like I said, I started working in a big corporate world at a very young age and I got lots of feedback um, from men and from women that sometimes was definitely warranted. And I, and I have, I subscribed to having a growth mindset. And so I really appreciate and love feedback and I've grown a lot from it, but looking back, some of the feedback was really unfair. Like somebody once told me that he didn't like my voice, that I talk like a Valley girl. And I realized I'm like, I'm the youngest person who works here by, by, by like 10 years. Um, this wasn't at IBM. It was at a different company. And I, but it's like those types of like microaggressions build up over time. And it really makes you doubt yourself. And when I quit my job to start flex, I had multiple people call me and say, you can't do this. You've never even been a CMO. How are you going to be a CEO? Like you still have so much to learn. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I do still have so much to learn, but I got to follow my heart and I just need to get out there and do it. And, but I find over and over again, especially with women that I talk to, and it's not exclusive to women, but a lot of women that I talk to are like, well, I have this idea, but I just need to, I just need to blank. Right. Or sometimes I've talked to people that are like, well, I always wanted to, but I can't because I don't have, you know, and I, I really truly believe that if we had more women telling other women, like, yes, you absolutely can. And like, maybe you fail, but at least you tried. That is like, we need more women telling other women that. So that's what I want to tell every woman that wants to start a business, like get out there and do it. There's more female, small business owners than male business owners. So like, just go girl, do it. A hundred percent, a hundred. And it's funny on an interview I did earlier today, we talked about how no one has the answers. Even if you've been in business for 22 years, we're all constantly trying to figure it out. It's only a perception that seems like everyone on stage has the answers. We're all, we're all just like the guarantee you have as an entrepreneur is that every day you're going to have a new challenge. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes like being an outsider, I think brings an advantage, like me being from Georgia, from a small town and like the struggle that I face as a child and as a teenager and everything that I went through in my life conditioned me super, super well to be an entrepreneur, right? All that struggle and strife and pain and heartache conditioned me for all the ups and downs of being, being a CEO and a startup CEO. So I think even though I didn't go to, you know, like Stanford or Harvard or Haas or whatever, I don't have my MBA, like it kind of gives me an advantage in some ways because I look at problems a little bit differently. And there's nothing wrong with going to those schools as well. They give you phenomenal training. 
Um, but you don't, you don't need a pedigree to right. be successful in business. Yeah, there's no one right path, but there is uh, a bad path when it comes to health um, that has afflicted a lot of women. And that's like yeast infections and toxic. How do you say it? Toxic? Toxic shock syndrome. Yeah. Toxic shock. Yeah. I've seen devastating things I was unaware of as a teenager and growing up. And then later when I would see YouTube videos, I'm like, thank goodness that didn't happen to me. Yeah. Flex to my knowledge, like how I perceive it guarantees that I won't have to deal with those misfortunes and take the risk of doing that to my body. Is that accurate? So I'm not allowed to say guarantee from, for like legal reasons, okay. <laughs> but what I can tell you is we have made over 80 million discs and we, our discs have never been linked to TSS. Our cups have never been linked to TSS. Um, the, the thing about tampons and TSS and why tampons and tampons, I think by and large generally are pretty safe. So uh, if you like follow instructions and you don't leave it in for too long and you use the proper absorbency, you should be fine. Generally speaking, um, TSS is caused by a strain of staph bacteria. That is if it's found outside of your skin, it doesn't harm you, but if it gets um, in your bloodstream, it can harm you. And so when you put a tampon inside of your body, cotton is an organic material and an organic material can promote the growth of toxic bacteria. And if you leave it in for too long and those bacteria, if you happen to have that bacteria on the tampon, or if you have like a small abrasion from the cotton going inside of your vagina, doesn't matter if it's a regular tampon or organic tampon, they're all cotton that is what can promote the growth of that bacteria, which can lead to TSS. And I think on the yeast infection side, tampons don't cause yeast infections for everyone. They did cause yeast infections for me because they can disrupt the flora and like the pH of your vagina because you're basically holding the blood inside of your vaginal canal against your vaginal walls for hours on end versus a cup or a disc. It's collecting the fluid. It's not absorbing anything. It's made out of body safe materials that um, are used in all different types of medical devices, right? Over and over and over again in hospitals, like millions of people per day. And so we know that these materials don't promote the growth of that toxic bacteria. And that that's what makes the difference. And that's why you can wear this product for 12 hours. So it's disposable like a tampon, but it you end up using two per day versus you know, 18 to 21 tampons per cycle. So it creates a lot less waste as well. I love it. You know, I've, as I've said many times, who is someone that's given you advice that has truly helped accelerate you throughout your career? What's that piece of advice that they've given you? Yeah. My co-founder who is now my husband, he's on our board, but we, we don't work together full-time anymore. He told me in the early days just to get started, like back when we were friends, he was working in venture capital um, and totally unrelated. He wouldn't invest in my type of company, but <laughs> he seemed really smart and I knew nothing about fundraising. And so I was like, what is LTV? What is cost of acquisition? Like, I didn't know any of yeah. the words <laughs> and I was always waiting to be, you know, like trying. And he's like, just just go, just start, just get to work. Don't create a right. perfect strategy. Don't need a business plan. Like you do to some extent, but just literally go out and get started. And that's where like going to those events and having a little booth and doing things manually, going to sororities in the end, like did those things get me on the front page of TechCrunch? Absolutely not. But it was like, 
all those micro meetings that over time led to you and I meeting, for example, you know yeah. what I mean? hundred percent, hundred percent. And what LA tech resources do you recommend we check out? Are there accelerators, mentorship programs, events? What do you recommend that we plug into? I recommend anyone follow Jesse Draper of Halogen. If you don't follow her already, um, she's one of our investors and any event that she goes to anything that she speaks at any of her blogs that she writes, like she's LA local, hundred percent follow her. And then Amplify LA was one of our earliest investors and they're phenomenal. They've been really supportive to us. They've connected us to other investors. Um, They also host local events. So it's Amplify.LA. If somebody were to land in Los Angeles right now, like at LAX, Burbank, you know, one of the airports specifically for LA tech, what would you recommend is the first thing that they do in order to integrate into what we have going on in the city? This is going to sound really cliche. Maybe it's because I was there at an investor meetup last night, but probably go to the bungalow. I think if you go to the bungalow um, in Santa Monica on like a random Tuesday night, which I don't because I have an infant, but I went, I went <laughs> last night for a meetup and I ran into one of my investors. I ran into so many amazing women who are in finance, who are LPs and GPs and just made a lot of really amazing connections in an hour. So I think it's a good spot to kind of walk up to a random person on a weeknight, probably don't go on a Saturday or Friday, <laughs> but on, on, a, on a random weeknight, you're going to meet some good people there. How do you source, how do you find your meetups and your events? Is it through your personal network or did you see it pop up somewhere? What can we plug into so that we could be informed on the events going on as well? It was through my personal network, which is not really a great answer. Um, no, it's a true answer. It's honest and that's okay. Yeah. I moved to San Francisco. I mean, I moved to LA from San Francisco maybe four years ago and I I knew nobody here. And so I kind of very, very slowly built my network manually and it just took getting out there and and being brave. I'm naturally introverted. And it just, I said yes to any event that anyone invited me to. And my husband always says like, I never want to go, but when I come back, I always am glad that I did because I meet somebody new and, uh, or somebody cool. I'm introverted as well, which nobody ever believes. And they're always shocked to hear. And so I have this game I play with myself when I go to an event and I say, I have to talk to four people and then I have permission to go home. (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love that. I think that's such a good rule. Yeah. I told myself last night because the event was at like 730 and I usually go to bed. I put the baby down at 730 and I go to bed. I'm like asleep by 930. So it was like 830. I'm like, oh, (laughs) I told myself to go for an hour. I'm like, go for an hour and then you can go home. And I'm super, super glad I did. And I met four people. Did you stay longer than an hour? Did you stay time bound to the hour? You know, I ended up staying for about an hour. Yeah. But it wasn't because I wasn't having a good time. It just felt like a natural kind of break in the evening to go like a break in the conversation. Yeah. The reason why I ask is I think it's good to understand that it is okay to just go to something for one hour and not including it's okay to be online for only one hour. You don't have to be on Twitter for eight hours of a day. You don't have to, you could do what's right for you. I, I think as a tech community globally, we don't prioritize self-care. And so I love that you're like, I'm going to do this for one hour and I'm, and it's okay for me to leave after an hour. I don't have to stay till the very last second. I won't miss out FOMO. Oh my gosh. I won't be relevant anymore. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's okay to prioritize well-being. 
Absolutely. You have to, otherwise you can't keep going. And everyone says it's a marathon and not a sprint. It's super true, but that's the approach that I take to exercising too. I'm like, just do 20 minutes. If you're over it in 20 minutes, you can, you can stop, like take a walk for 20 minutes. doesn't matter. Just like move your body for 20 minutes. And I never regret it. And speaking of exercising, are you a hiker? I am a hiker. So can you recommend uh, an LA hike we should check out? Uh, it's so painful to share this one if you don't already know about it, but I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. Tuna Canyon in Topanga is my favorite hike. It's stunning. There's not a lot of parking. So if you're bringing friends, go very early in carpool, but it has phenomenal views. It's not too difficult of a hike. Um, and there's water views and city views and mountain views. It's gorgeous. And restaurant. What restaurant do you recommend we all check out? Believe it or not, George's Burgers. <laughs> on Lincoln Boulevard. <laughs> it's close to my office and it's unfortunately on the left-hand side when I'm, I'm driving, like I have to like cross the road to get there, but their breakfast burrito is they like subscribe to the tater tot, like hash brown things inside the breakfast burrito. George's burgers, George's burgers. And, and you talked about Jesse who is an LA tech company or person that has really impressed you? You talked about Jesse Draper, so we should definitely follow her. Who is someone else that we should uh, follow? Another Jesse, Jesse Gannett, Gannett. I'm, I'm so sorry, Jesse. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Um, G-A-N-E-T, right? Yeah. Um, she is another YC founder. She started Lumi and she is super funny and so charismatic absolutely brilliant. Also a new mom, um, big, big fan of hers. So you moved to LA from San Francisco. Why build a company here in LA and not in Silicon Valley or the other tech cities, specifically San Francisco, since you were from here, why is this the place where flex needs to be? And it's the best place for flex to grow. There are a few reasons I moved here. One is personal. My husband, we weren't married at the time we were together. His mom lives in El Monte, which is like an hour and a half away. And so it was nice to be close to family. I think from a business perspective, it's a little bit easier to be, not that we're a big fish at all, but it's easier to be a big fish in a, in, in a small pond. LA isn't small, but I feel like the, the startup scene is a little bit smaller than like being in San Francisco, just like lost in a sea of a gazillion startups, everyone's starting startups. But I think more so than the need to stand out as a startup, more like you're going to meet other types of people, like artists, creators, people in different industries that you can be friends with where you don't have to talk about your startup at all. And to me, like having that kind of balance in my life where I can, I'm sure if I want to spend all my time with other startup founders here, I could, because there's plenty but most of my friends here like aren't even in business. And there's something that I really love about that that brings me balance on my one or two days off each week. Totally. 100%. It's funny because even as a, uh, a founder needing to have a diverse opinion, the opinion in Silicon Valley, it's very hard to get an accurate read on how a global audience will respond to a product in yeah. Silicon Valley. It's a lot easier to get that in Los Angeles because we have so many different types of people here. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a lot of 
really incredible creative energy here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I loved, love, love the Bay Area. I just went there for vacation two weeks ago, which is kind of funny because I lived there for so many years. But um, there's a lot of great things, uh, things about both. But I just find for me, I have more balance in my life being here. And that inspires me creatively and inspires me at work. I think because the community here is a little bit smaller than it is in the Bay Area that you'll find it's easier to connect and get to know people pretty quickly. And there is less, at least in my experience, there was less of this feeling that you that you hit where there's like this ultra elite set of investors that are totally un, inaccessible to you unless you have whatever connections or pedigree. And somebody that doesn't have all those connections and pedigree because I went from Georgia to San Francisco, I found LA to be like a, a just generally a very welcoming, helpful place. I really recommend it. I think also like it's easier to, in many ways, attract talent here. If you're hiring, people generally want to move to LA. <laughs> Unless you're in San Francisco and you hate L- a lot of like Angelinos and a lot of them, you know, that's fine. They they don't need to move here. They can stay up there in their puffy vest. That's really <laughs> cool. I will be in my bikini in, in March. <laughs> and uh, and Flex yeah. is hiring. So where should they go? Where should, where should everybody go to check out the opportunities at Flex? Yeah. Flexfits.com is our website. And if you click on the careers link, we are hiring for a ton of different positions. We are growing like crazy. Next year is going to be our biggest year ever. So please check us out and apply. Cheesy question, but what book do you recommend that we all read? Nonfiction. (laughs) Nonfiction, fiction, any book that you're like, yes. Oh man. So, so even before as a startup founder, it's cliche to say, but the hard thing about the hard things Mm. by Ben Horowitz is I think a classic and it gave me a lot of peace of mind, even when I wasn't um, a CEO, but I go back and revisit that book every couple of years. High output management is also, I think that's uh, Andy Grove book, also very old school great for performance management as a leader. And then if you're looking for fiction, I mean, I'm a big Ken Follett fan. I'm super nerdy that way. I love that airport historical fiction, uh, the Kingsbridge trilogy. I've read it maybe three times and each page, each book is like 1500 pages. So tell us what it's about. It is about, about the backstabbing and no, it's, it's about, um, medieval, England and how cathedrals are built, but it kind of follows multiple characters over generations in a town. Anyone who's read the books probably thinks I'm butchering it right now, but it's very character driven. And it's actually taught me a lot about business because um, you kind of can see that people aren't all good or all bad. And there certainly are characters in the book that are like tropes of a bad guy or a good guy, but you can kind of see that every person is flawed and how individuals can see things from their own perspective, but might not see something from someone else's perspective. And if they act or react in a way that they're not seeing the other person's point of view, it can create like events that, you know, span generations, you know, of like mistakes or decisions that span generations. And so it just, I think it's a fascinating look into the human mind and how we interact with each other. And the last question I have is a selfish question because I am such a nerd. What is your favorite tool? It could be mobile app, website, 
What is your girl? I am a Noom. I'm a hardcore Noom fan. Noom, the weight loss thing. The weight loss. Tell me. I gained, um, I stopped counting at 85 pounds. I gained over 85 pounds when I was pregnant and my daughter's 16 months now. And it was really, really hard on my body and, you know, worked really hard to get a lot of the weight off. But like that last like 15 pounds was so, so tough. Noom helped me be more mindful about what food choices that I was making that I didn't realize I was making. And I got that last 15 pounds off, but it also like kickstarted me being excited and falling in love with exercise again. Um, and then, you know, I, I got one of these Apple watch things and now I'm like addicted to tracking all my workouts. Wait, I, okay. I have to ask you for another second about Noom. I had Noom and in, in end, I felt like it didn't, I don't know what I did different than you, but I love that it worked for you. So what would you say was the number one thing that made Noom lead to losing that 15? I think it was the calorie tracking. I had used, I think my fitness pal or another one of those yeah. previously, something about Noom's tracking me a little bit easier. And like, I had to get over the cheesiness of their courses, you know, cause sometimes I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe that's what lost me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a little bit cheesy, but I was like, all right, suspend disbelief. Okay. Yeah. For a minute. Yeah. And like, you just, and I made myself commit to doing it for a full month. And then after the month I got used to tracking my calories. And then after maybe two or three months, I think it was about three months. I was like, all right, I'm tired of tracking my calories. I'm tired of using this thing. So I got rid of it. But now when I'm super hungry and I'm like driving around, I'll go to a grocery store and I'll buy like a bowl of fruit. Cause I'm like, I remember that new lesson. Yeah. That's like water dense, water, <laughs> water dense food with four nutrients will fill you up. Whereas, you know, growing up, it used to be like Atkins or keto where it's mm -hmm. like, eat a chicken drumstick. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. That's so true. Yes. I even remember the water. Yes. But it's not ingrained, but I'm familiar and I only know it because of Noom. Lauren, thank you so much for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the Los Angeles tech community. Remember to go to wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Say hello on social at We Are LA Tech on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. I will see you guys, hear you guys, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Lauren Wong, founder and CEO of The Flex Company. We're creating a more comfortable period for everyone. And I'm coming to you from Topanga. You're listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.